Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be gathered together again to worship. This morning, for our message, I've chosen to return to my series of messages from the Sermon on the Mount. Now that we're done studying the Sermon on the Mount in our Sunday school lessons, I have the advantage of having spent a number of those classes when we were looking in Sunday school at the Sermon on the Mount, spending those classes teaching instruction class. So I guess I have the privilege of not knowing what all has already been said. So you have to bear with me if anything is repeated. But I feel like that there's a lot of things in Jesus' teaching here in these verses that is valuable for us to study. This morning you can turn to Matthew 5. We'll be starting at verses 20, verse 27. I'd like to start by reading verse 27 and 28 of Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Here we have Jesus again going back to what had been stated a long time in the past. He says, you have heard that it has been said by them of old. Here he's referring back to the seventh of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Ten Commandments were, I think we would view as being foundational to the Jewish law. The Ten Commandments embodied the basics of what God expected from his people. Yet, here we have Jesus saying that you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. He was saying that their level of obedience to this command was missing the mark of what God really wanted from them. As I've stated in some of my previous messages on the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus pointed out time and again in this passage that the act of sin wasn't the root issue. The root issue began within the heart. And that's what he's addressing here. The stain and filth of sin just isn't just an outward thing. It's something that begins inwardly and then finds expression outwardly. So here he's saying that while the act of adultery is sin, 
the intentional, lustful thoughts and looks are also sinful in the source of the act itself. I invite you to turn back to Mark 7. I'd like to look and see what Jesus says about our inner thoughts. Mark 7, verse 20 through 23. And he said, That which cometh out of the man that defileth the man. For for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. So here in Matthew, excuse me, Mark 7, Jesus is saying that what's within us is where that defilement comes from. We see that God isn't just interested in our outward righteousness. He's interested in what is within. You know, outward righteousness is something that we can, we can fake. We can put on a good front. Because we as humans are limited in our ability to see. We see only the outward. The outward actions of a person. And yes, a person's outward actions do reveal what's within. But yet, there's so much that goes on within our hearts and our thoughts that isn't immediately and readily revealed by our actions. But we forget as we look at each other and look at ourselves in an outward sense, we forget that God sees the heart as well as what's on the outside. We all probably know the account of Samuel going to anoint a new king for Israel. God sent him to Jesse's family, and Jesse called his sons. And time and again, Samuel looked and thought, surely this is the one. This is an outstanding-looking young man. But time and again, God said, no, this is not the one. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says this, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We forget so often and so readily that God knows and God sees our inner thoughts, our inner desires. And those thoughts that are sinful are just as repulsive 
to God his sinful actions. We forget that because we don't see it. But yet, that's what Scripture tells us. And we serve a God who is a holy God and who cannot stand the sight of sin. And so the thought is as repulsive as the action. Man says that only the outward act is a problem, not the inward thoughts. But I ask you how that has worked out for mankind. How does that form of judgment work in our society today? You know, we live in in an environment where many, many people are continually immersed in viewing immorality and violence. And for years, the experts have said that it doesn't matter what we look at. Our minds separate out between reality and what we may view in entertainment or or whatever. But we need to remember that Jesus said that evil things proceed from within us. And so I ask, can we be filling our minds with immorality, with violence, etc., and not have it affect our lives, not have it come out in some way? Should there be any surprise to us at the level of violence and immorality that we see in society when we have so many people who feed on that daily? We can't entertain those types of thoughts and not have it affect our lives. But most of all, those types of things will separate us from a holy God who cannot tolerate sin, whether it's in thought or in deed. So here, Jesus was lifting up the old commandment Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he was lifting it up to a new level of purity in thought, not just in deed. An inner purity, not just an outward purity. And along with, with these, these thoughts of what we have in our hearts, I had to think that sin, sinful actions, at least for the most part, generally are premeditated. A person thinks about sin, entertains those tempting thoughts before that act is carried out. So if we follow Jesus' teaching here, 
and through his help control our thoughts, we'll find ourselves living in victory over sin. So then the question is, how do we gain victory over whatever thought or temptation that we may be struggling with? In answer to that, I'd like to continue reading the next two verses here in Matthew 5, verses 29 through 30. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Here Jesus gives us an extreme prescription to overcome sin and temptation. An extreme prescription for overcoming our fleshly passions. Now I don't believe that Jesus intended for us to literally get out the axe and chop off her hand or to gouge her eye out but rather I think Jesus intent here was to emphasize the importance of doing whatever it takes to avoid sin to avoid the temptation and the thought that may lead to the act of sin. His admonition here is that the loss of a hand or the loss of an eye in this life would be a small price to pay to avoid the punishment of hell for eternity. You know, there's no sacrifice too large to make in this life if it helps us to attain eternal life in the future. And so I believe the admonition of Jesus here is that if there is anything in our life that's causing us temptation, causing us to stumble, in our, in, in, whether it's in deed or in thought, Jesus is saying we need to take extreme measure and get rid of that thing. So I ask, is there something that is leading you the wrong way? Is there something that's causing you to face temptation? Causing you to face thoughts that aren't right? If so, you must cut off that thing from your life are we really willing to go to this extent to ensure our spiritual life and vitality we all face temptations of one sort 
or another. And sometimes those things, those temptations we face are somewhat unavoidable. But there are things that we can cut off that will help us to be victorious. You know, I read in a commentary about these verses that if your right eye causes you to sin and you gouge it out, you still have a left eye, and it's probably just as sinful as your right eye was. And if your right hand causes you to sin and you cut it off, your left hand's just as sinful as your right hand. And so, but there are things that we can cut off from our lives. We can get rid of to where that temptation may be gone. I had to think about our use of internet, social media, music entertainment, our associations. What about these things? Are there things there that you or I need to cut off? Something like social media. If, if somebody's ensnared in social media you can delete your account it's not there anymore uh, let's move on the point is that Jesus words here are that we need to at times perform surgery within our lives to get rid of what is pulling us down spiritually. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. In other words, he's saying he had put to death the desires of the flesh that were pulling him down spiritually, hindering him in his spiritual walk. And I believe that this has the same idea of what Jesus was saying here in Matthew 5, of cutting off our hand or putting out our eye if it's causing us to sin. Putting to death that thing that's causing, that, that's, that's hindering us in our spiritual life. And you know, the temptation to sin or the temptation to entertain wrong thoughts is something that we're not likely to overcome through sheer willpower. In other words, if if I place 
myself in a situation where I have to deal with what I struggle with. I put before me the temptation. I entertain those thoughts. I'm probably not going to be able to, through my own willpower and self-discipline, to simply overcome. So how do we put to death these things? How do we become like the Apostle Paul to where we can say, I am crucified with Christ to these things of the flesh? Like I said, something like social media, if it's dragging you down, you can delete your account. That's cutting something off. Other things may not be as easy to just cut off. But you know, we can starve something to death. Without food, things die. And if we continue to resist a temptation, and if we, in the place of some temptation, we, we place good things there, we'll eventually starve that temptation, that struggle. And when I say replacing it with good things, filling our minds with good things. Good, godly things displace the things of the devil. Good music, scripture, prayer, time alone with God. Those are things that we can use to fill our minds with good things that are going to displace the temptations, and the filth of the world. Just remember that Jesus' command here in these verses is a violent or a forceful command to cut off something important, to to go to whatever extreme is necessary to to attain victory over our struggles. As I said, there's nothing in this life that is not worth giving up in order to secure our place in glory. Now I'd like to move on to the next couple of verses, verses 31 through 32. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Here Jesus addresses the issue of divorce. Jesus refers here 
when he says, It hath been said, he is referring back to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 24.1, where Moses, in giving the law, said, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass, she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. This is what God permitted for the Jewish people back when the law was given. But it was not God's original intent. And I invite you to turn to Matthew 19. Here in Matthew 19, we have Jesus further addressing this subject. And there's a few interesting things here in this passage. I'd like to read Matthew 19, 1 through 9. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he heard, healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and, and said, For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain be one flesh? Therefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They said unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing, writing of divorcement and to put her away, he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Here we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus and questioning him, obviously to, in an effort to trick him or to trap him into, into saying something that they could bring accusations against him. But they questioned him on this subject. And in answer to their question, Jesus took them back to the creation. And he pointed out that God created man as male and female with the intent of them coming together as one in a marriage union. And this is an important point because the union of a man and woman in marriage was part of God's plan from the creation. It says it there in Genesis, and Jesus verifies that here in this chapter. This is a, is a union that is ordained of God. And Jesus says then, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Let man not separate. 
So here Jesus is saying that God's original intent for man and woman in marriage is a bond that, that was God-ordained and was not for man to separate. So then the Pharisees went on to ask, well, you know, if that's the case, then well, why did Moses allow for divorce? Jesus' answer was, it was allowed because of the hardness of their hearts. And we need to remember what I've been saying through this, these messages, that the Jewish law addressed the deed but it didn't address the heart issue. It didn't bring about a changed heart. It brought compliance to what God asked without a change of heart. So now we have Jesus instituting a new command for God's people. And he again and again talks about the change, the, the, a change that is from within. And so here Jesus is saying that Moses allowed divorce because your hearts were hard. But now, Jesus is asking for a changed heart. A changed heart that reflects within our relationships. This was prophesied earlier in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So here we see Jesus saying that, God made a concession earlier that was against his original intent for man because their hearts were hard. But now, Jesus is instituting a better way. Jesus is instituting a way with a changed heart. In saying that we need to get back to what God's original intent was for the relationship between husband and wife. Also, you don't have to turn to this if you don't want, but Malachi 2.16 tells us God's attitude towards divorce. Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Now, that's the King James Version. Many other versions would make that clear. It says that he hateth divorce. Now, I won't read the rest of that passage. But I believe that it's very clear that God's original intent for man and woman was to come together in the marriage bond sanctioned by God, not to be broken by man. And I believe that it's clear here and other scriptures that I haven't read this morning that God is displeased when people take the course of divorce 
rather than Jesus' way of a changed heart and a changed life. Both in Matthew 19 and Matthew 5, we have what has been called the exception clause where it says except for fornication. And I don't have all the answers to this, but I do believe that we can see through scriptures I've read this morning and others as well that uh, are given that God's intent for marriage was for it to be permanent. A holy union in his eyes and the breaking of it is displeasing to him. And when we try to find reasons to allow what is displeasing to God, whether it's in the subject of divorce or any other area of life, when we try to find reasons to allow what is displeasing to God, we find ourselves going back to the state of the hard heart that was before the time of Christ. It seems that Jesus was trying to point out that with a heart that's fully surrendered to him, fully surrendered to what he teaches, there's a better way, a better way than divorce, a better way than many other things in life that we struggle with. And in our day when divorce Divided homes are so prevalent. This is a message that people need to hear. And it's a testimony that we can give to the world around us. As we, through Christ, strive to have godly marriages and homes that endure and display God's original intent for mankind in the union of man and woman. So in these verses that we've looked at today, Jesus addresses two things that have caused an extreme amount of damage in our society today. The sin of lust and the sin of divorce. There's been untold hurts and casualties throughout society because of these things. We live in a culture where lust and adultery are seen as normal. But we can see in Scripture that they're contrary to God's plan for mankind. And we as well can see, as we look around us, the hurt and problems that these sins have caused. The foundation of society is the home. It's what God designed. God designed 
for man and woman to come together in marriage and to become one and to have a family unit to bear children. And these two sins strike at the foundation of, the, of that foundation of society that God has created. So we must heed Jesus' teachings here, and we need to continually strive to avoid things that would lead us into sin, lust, anything that would cause separation between us and God. And also we need to give much diligence to our marriages and our families because God designed for a beautiful thing. But Satan has given us these avenues to drag it down, to drag us down, and to just destroy those family units, which in turn, I think, degrades society. And it doesn't promote God's way, it promotes Satan's way. So God wants us to display his better way, his better way of a changed heart that affects our relationships, affects our inner thoughts, affects how we relate to others. He wants us to display that to the watching world around us so that they can see what his intent is for his people. So God bless you as you go forth and serve him and display what he has designed for us in the coming week. God bless you.